Hey, it's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Andrew Limbong. We're just about at the end now of National Poetry Month, but, you know, you can pick up a poem at pretty much any time. And today, we've got this interview with the Irish poet Colm Tobin, who's out now with a new collection called Vinegar Hill. And the conversation starts with a poem about not wanting to write poetry that's too adorned or floofy, too much, basically, because that seems like the kind of guy Tobin is, pretty straightforward, especially for a poet. And just to cement that characterization down a bit, there's a part in this interview with NPR Scott Simon where he talks about getting cancer and what he learned facing illness and chemo, or more like what he didn't learn. This message comes from NPR sponsor LiveRight, publishers of Left for Dead. Shipwreck, treachery, and survival at the edge of the world by Eric J. Dolan. The true story of five castaways abandoned on the Falkland Islands during the War of 1812. Available wherever books are sold. This message comes from NPR sponsor REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing. Visit your local REI co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways to opt outside. Colm Tobin, the great Irish poet and novelist, joins us now, so let's not fritter away any more time before he reads a poem. Colm, could you please read Prayer to St. Agnes? Oh, holy St. Agnes, cure me of metaphor. Make me say exactly what I mean without trickery or recourse to words that are not clear or clean. O martyr and saint, let life be dull and make our verses unadorned and let next year's poems be plainly full of signs that lessons have been learned. The flowers grow as appointed from the soil and do not paint the meadow with delight. They wither or get picked, which serves to spoil our notion so mistaken on first sight that they are sprightly dancing in the breeze, then taking applause, their heads all bowed. I swear in all mention of flowers these rich, false words will never be allowed. In return, please open heaven's gate so I can see what really is, with no sweet terms to mask my fate, to live in true, unsweetened bliss. And that is Colin Tobin reading from his new collection, Vinegar Hill. The great poet is currently teaching at Columbia University in New York. And thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Why would a poet pray to be cured of metaphor? I wanted the poems to be plainer, to um, really depend on single statement, that if you just write down something that's true and without adornment, that you will actually get uh, maybe much more expression or certainly a sort of power where, where, where you're not attempting in, in a way to do something poetic as much as attempting to, in a way, beguile the reader with the rhythm or with what's not in the poem as much as any set of tricks or any set of, I suppose, adornments. Mm-hmm. And especially a resting poem, uh, I think, for many people, is one that touches on mortality. Two plus one. Could I ask you to read that, please? Two plus one. My heart is watching and weakening, mercilessly counting the beats. It is bored, casually waiting for this to cease. My father died at 53, vessels leaked in his brain. Then arteries weakened, he moaned in pain. My mother's eyes were grey as his were blue. Her breath rose high above the town before it sank in death. I have their two weak hearts in one weak heart. Their eyes merged in my gaze. 
his slow smile, her soft side glance, oversee my days. Oh my. This is about 10 years old, this poem. When I got, I couldn't believe, you know, you get a miracle sometimes where they, they oversee my days, which both meanings of, you know, someone overseeing something, oversight, and then actually literally their eyes overseeing. Yeah. Does a sense of frailty help you see the world in a different way, truer way? And, you know, I love to say that I had testicular cancer and I had a really awfully difficult chemo and I was really sick. And, um, I, you know, I'm not sure it's true. It might be a defense mechanism, but I love to say that I learned nothing. And that if you need cancer to teach you to appreciate life, then there's something really wrong to start with. You know? And that uh, I, I just lay there. It was boring. It was tough. It was hard. It was sometimes painful. But the idea that when it was over, I became a new man or I found God or I suddenly discovered, you know, the joy of eating lobster or something. I, 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 you know, all the things that were in me just, just, just returned slowly, including my hair. I read that I have read that you were a late reader, and I, I wonder if that wound up strengthening your appreciation for the for words. I think it left me free to imagine things, to wander around the house in a sort of dream, while my siblings were all busy buried in books. I was sort of looking at them, checking them out, going into the other room to see what was going on there. I think it, it allows you to, in a certain way, when you're maybe seven or eight, to become a better noticer. Could I please get you to read a section from November in America? Well, this is set in New York, and it's the very night that the voting has taken place, which will cause Donald Trump to become president of the United States. That night, there's hope in their Yankee hearts as the ballots are being guarded against the truth. Soon, Twitter, fake news, and rage itself will be all the rage and children will be held in cages, and dreams will be tossed and blown. But that night, we see them in all their innocence, loving the song and comforted by the singer, walk on, walk on. Outside, it was November in America. We went to a bar. There was hope, some hope, in the hearts of those poised for power. It is sobering to remember we were not laughing anymore. What did you want to capture in this poem? Um, it was a particularly dramatic occasion where um, there's, there's a song called You Never Walk Alone. On our side of the Atlantic, it's the song sung by the Liverpool fans in a very raucous way at both home and away matches on a Saturday. It's sort of gorgeous. They just belt it out. That is what it is in Ireland and England. And, of course, the, on the night I'm talking about, it's being sung very beautifully by Jessie Norman. And it's being sung with full emotion. So when she's going, walk on, walk on, it's pure, it's beautiful. And the audience, I mean, the Americans are really wowed by it. They love it. They're moved by it. I'm with an English friend, and we cannot stop ourselves. We're, we're, we're very diverse with laughter. So it's one of those lovely moments where a cultural artifact means two entirely different things on a particular night where divisions in America are really becoming more and more apparent. Yeah. 
One last poem we want to get you to read, and it's if you could tell us the story. It's uh, it's Panger, and you're not the only poet to have addressed this, are you? <laughs> Panger is one of the oldest Gaelic poems, and um, I mean it's probably from the sixth century. Christianity has arrived in Ireland, and there's a monk, and he's writing that while he's hunting for the right word. His cat Panger is hunting for mice. Seamus Heaney has done a version. Ivan Boland has done a version. Paul Muldoon has done a version. Every Irish poet does a Panger. Panger. Panger, a neighbour's cat, comes to my flat for peace and quiet. He likes to lick my bare toes while I type. But he cannot keep himself in check, and soon he starts to bite. Panger, I bark. If you don't stop... I will put you back in the poem by that monk. <laughs> Which raises the question, is that how a poet settles scores? <laughs> That's what poems are for, to threaten your cat. <laughs> April's National Poetry Month. Do you like National Poetry Month? I think America is great. I love America, and I love the way it does these things. If that happened in Ireland, everyone would be laughing about it, and people would say, I'm having no poetry for April. Or they would, you know. But in America, these things are taken very seriously, and people pay a lot of attention, and poetry is something that really enriches people's lives. We know this because when there's a big ritual, for example, when there's a funeral or even a wedding, people often ask me, do you know a good poem for a wedding? Because they want something to mark the ceremony. So it isn't as though poems don't matter. They mightn't matter in everyone's daily life, but for those important occasions, they really, they, poems really do matter. Colm Tobey and his collection, Vinegar Hill, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com slash NPR. Last year, over 20,000 people joined the Body Electric study to change their sedentary, screen-filled lives. And guess what? We saw amazing effects. Now you can try NPR's Body Electric Challenge yourself. Listen to updated and new episodes wherever you get your podcasts.